0: Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org.
1: Thanks again uh, for joining us. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in John 16. If you have been tracking along with our New Testament in 90 day reading plan, um, we read this this past week and each of the sermons leading up to Easter are going to be from the readings that we've done today. We're going to uh, do what we did a couple weeks ago, kind of take a broad theme and drag it all the way through this particular chapter. That's where we, that's uh, kind of our thing. It's going to uh, piggyback a little bit off of what we talked about last week, the fruit of of the Spirit. If you don't have a Bible and you need one that you can put in your lap, there's some on the sides of the tech booth. If you're a user of the Bible app, you can open up your app and find our live event and uh, track along with that, okay? Uh, A couple of things here as we kind of get started. I have a couple of confessions to make. I think that's the best way to do this. Uh, Number one, the church that I grew up in had its strengths, Uh, it also had its weaknesses. The church that I grew up in didn't, I mean, we had a Holy Trinity. It was the father and the son and the Holy Bible. I did for us, a downtown, um, first Baptist church, County seat, um, pews, red carpet, white steeple, the whole thing. Who's with me there? Anybody on that? Okay. This was the church that I grew up in and, um, we never talked about it quite literally. And I don't mean this. In an ugly way, it's simply reporting the reality of my life as I grew up spiritually. Um, Quite literally, the only time I heard about the Holy Spirit was when somebody got baptized, and we said, in the name of the Father and the Son. And because we used the King James back then, the Holy Ghost, all right? So as a, you know, know, single-digit kid, seven, eight, nine years old, you're like, whoa, that's... So we never talked about the Holy Spirit. Uh, then I went off to that uh, fine fine institution, Baylor University, and um, got involved. You're sick and bears, thank you. Uh, got involved in um, a church there, and they talked about the Holy Spirit all the time. Like, all the time. And I mean all the time. And so because of that, I kind of became a closet charismatic on this stuff. So, I mean, I, I went from one pole to the other. It was, it was quite a thing. And I'm saying that all that, making those two confessions here, because... Man, some of you come from kind of this one side. Some of you come from another. But the best way for us to think about and to learn about and to engage with this particular topic um, about the Holy Spirit is to actually open up the Bible and see what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to do here in um, John 16. So here we go. Uh, A couple of questions here. Uh, First of all, what's the Holy Spirit? We'll start there. What's the Holy Spirit? And I'm saying that is a profoundly bad question. Because it's not what. This is not some impersonal force. It's not cash for the Friendly Ghost. I mean, it's none of those things. What is the Holy Spirit? is the wrong question. Better question? Who? Who is the Holy Spirit? Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? Uh, because this is not something, um, the Spirit of God is not something that can be moved. He is someone who moves us. This, the Spirit of God is not something that, that it can be manipulated or used. The Spirit of God is what goes to work in us to accomplish the work of Jesus as he wants to use us for good work. So not what, but who, okay? And there's two answers to the who. Number one, this is a person, okay? The Holy Spirit is a person, and uh, when you read the New Testament, you see and understand that the, the Spirit of God has a will. The Spirit of God has thoughts, 1 Corinthians 2. Um, the, the Spirit of God has emotions that go along with that. He, the Bible tells us not to grieve the Holy Spirit, so the Holy Spirit can be grieved. The Bible tells us to rejoice in the Holy Spirit, so there is joy in the Spirit of God. So we've got all of this stuff that goes along with that. The Holy Spirit is a person. And secondly, the Holy Spirit is God. No, Uh, we won't do a bunch of, uh, you know, kind of looking through the text to see where the Bible talks about it in that way. But the Bible talks about it in that way, and you can just kind of hopefully take my word for it. When the Bible talks about the Spirit of God, it talks about him as God. It's the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity, the third person. And when we say third person, I know it's Olympic time right now. Whether or not you're watching, a whole different question. But it's Olympic time right now. We're not talking about the bronze medalists. This is not like God's a gold and Jesus is silver and the Spirit's bronze. Not, not like that. Um, they're all co-equal, all co-eternal. Um, And uh, they they all accomplish what God's will is, part of the Trinity, okay? And thirdly, or secondly, underneath that, um, he, the Spirit of God, lives within those of us who have been bought by Jesus. So if you are a Christian, Ephesians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians 6, and many other places. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in you. He calls it the Spirit of Jesus, calls it the Holy Spirit from God, calls it the helper, calls it the, uh, the comforter. That is what has, he has taken up residence inside of you, such that he is right now, according to Romans eight eleven, giving life to your mortal body, such that one day this, this will give out. But I will just keep on living. Because the Holy Spirit is living in me and he is the down payment guaranteeing what God is going to do as the future unfolds. So not what is the Holy, who is the Holy Spirit? He's a person and he's God. Second big question is what does he do? What does he do? And I got a little uh, helper thing here, make it maybe a little memorable. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, We taught on the Holy Spirit, actually did a whole series uh, several years ago and I have kept this for five years or so. I just want to bring this back out. It looks like it's five years old, do not it? A little floppy here. Um, th- this is what the Holy Spirit does. Somebody uh, who's under nine years old, tell me what this is. What is it? It's an arrow. What does is, what is an arrow do? Somebody from this side over here, what's an arrow do? It points to something. This is what the Holy Spirit does for us. The Holy Spirit consistently points us to Jesus. When the Holy Spirit is at work, you know what he's doing. He's pointing to Jesus. When the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, you know what he's doing. He's helping us to see Jesus. When the Holy Spirit gifts the church... So that um, good news uh, is, is uh, uh, at work, not only in our midst, but also for the good of humanity. You know what the Holy Spirit is doing? He is pointing um, to Jesus. And when the Holy Spirit secures us and, uh, and makes us know that we are his children, we'll talk about all that here in a minute. The Holy Spirit is pointing us to Jesus. This is the role of the Holy Spirit. Uh, back in uh, right before actually John 16, the, uh, next to the last verse before John 16, you see it up there on the screen. John 15 uh, verse 26 says this, but when the helper comes in, uh, that's a capital H helper, that's the Holy Spirit. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. So what is the Holy Spirit doing? The Holy Spirit is pointing us to Jesus. How, how does he do so? How does this happen? How does it unfold um, for you and for me? Uh, First answer in John 16 here. Look down at verse 8. But when he, that's the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness because i go to the father you will see me no longer and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged how does he point how does he point to jesus first of all he points to jesus through conviction through conviction when we are convicted of sin and tell me if your experience of this is like mine. When you're convicted of sin, I, am, uh, um, like I have a temptation to sin. I fall to that temptation. And then the second temptation comes to run from God instead of run to God. That's how the enemy works. He not only tempts you to sin, but then he like gets the big megaphone and starts hollering at you in your ear, um, voices of accusation and condemnation that says, I cannot believe you did that again. Why in the world would you do so? You're so stupid. What a terrible person you are. Hey, Oh, you think you're going to go to God? God's not going to forgive you. This is the 54,000th time that you've done this sin. You're no way that God is going to forgive you for this sin. You're toast, man. You're toast. So the temptation is for me to go back and try to fix my own life, to go back and heal my own um, wound, to, to um, figure out a way to put, put Humpty Dumpty back together again in my own, in my own soul instead of running. Uh, and then Then, once I get all of that together, then I'm going to come to God and be like, hey, God, so I did mess up, but look, I fixed it all, right? The temptation, when convicted, the temptation is to run from God. But the Holy Spirit under conviction, when you and I are convicted by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit doesn't beat you down, man. The Holy Spirit draws you to God so that you can be forgiven. When we run from God, I promise you, that's not of God. When you run, you sin, you run to God. That's the Holy Spirit drawing you in. He convicts you concerning sin. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. And righteousness. Oh, listen, there are there is a way to find, to be made right with God. And judgment, meaning, and he says specifically, because the ruler of this world is judged. When you and I, listen, when you and I, under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, run to God instead of from him, that's just one step in the judgment on Satan and the kingdom of the darkness. Just to go, look, these people are coming to me because they know in me they'll find forgiveness. And that's the last thing there. Forgiveness, that kind of forgiveness, the the one that we're looking for, is not by me fixing it by myself. It's not by me grabbing enough Gorilla Glue or Super Glue or pick your favorite adhesive and sticking all the pieces back together and hoping that it's going to be okay. It's by you and I coming to Jesus again, finding forgiveness because of his death where he paid for our sins and his resurrection where he um, confirmed his victory over our sins. Forgiveness is only found through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The Holy Spirit points to Jesus, and he does so through conviction. Secondly, he points to Jesus also through his word. Look down at verse 13, John 16, verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Spirit of God uses the Word of God. He, he, he points us to Jesus through his Word. He speaks the message of Jesus to us. So let me just break that down. First of all, he inspired the Scripture. How does he point us to God, or excuse me, point us to Jesus through his word? First of all, he gave us the scripture. So the text that we have in front of us, the Bible that we have in our laps or on our um, devices there in front of us, this comes from God. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. So the text that we have in front of us here, John John didn't just sit down at his desk and was like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna write something today about Jesus. That's not what happened. Um, No no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God. How? how? As they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We looked at this maybe three or four weeks ago, 2 Timothy chapter 3. All scripture is inspired, that is breathed out by God, and it's the Holy Spirit who is the breath of God, who did that for us, who gave us the scripture. So we inspired He inspired the scripture. Secondly, he not only inspires the scripture, but also he opens our eyes to the scripture. Because it's one thing for us to say, yes, the scripture is inspired, it's a whole different thing for us to encounter God in this in in written word. So he opens our eyes to the scripture. So uh, John, again, we'll actually read this this coming week um, in first John chapter two, but the anointing, and that's a a name that John uses for the Holy spirit, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you, so the spirit teaches you uh, about everything. He's true is no lie, just as he had taught you. And he goes on from there. So what is the spirit's role regarding his word? Not only to inspire the the scriptures, but also then to open our eyes, his anointing, the spirit of God teaches you. So we have this. So when we encounter the scripture and when our eyes are opened here, um, uh, this is, this is the result is that we, we, um, see what God wants us to see here in the scripture. And then lastly, um, he brings to mind, he points us to Jesus through his word, but how by bringing to mind what we have learned already, what we've learned already the helper John 14:26 but the helper uh the holy spirit whom the father will send me send in my name he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that i have said to you so what, what is he doing god is promising that by the holy spirit the things that come to mind um, uh, he will help us to remember the things that he has already taught us and so that is actually the foundation for one of my favorite promises in the scripture jesus is talking to his disciples and he says hey look They're going to drag you before kings and governors and judges. And when you get there, don't stress about what you're going to say. You'll speak and you will do so by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will speak through you. How will that happen? Well, because he will bring to mind the things that he said. When our lives are in the kind of gravitational orbit and under the direction of the Holy Spirit, we can just, when it comes to that moment, everybody had, I mean, maybe you've had this moment, maybe you haven't, but we're like, I don't know what to say here. And then out comes something, you're like, oh my gosh, that was way better than I thought. When we get in the gravitational orbit of the word of God and the spirit of God, um, not only inspires the scriptures, but opens our eyes and brings these things to mind. This, this is what happened. Now, um, this made the rounds on social media for a couple of days here. I cannot think of a better example of this than Stephen Colbert. Anybody Stephen Colbert fan? And want to admit it? <laughs> Stephen Colbert um, ha- had the script flipped on him. He normally is doing the interview on the late show, but he had the script flipped and, and somebody was interviewing him on the late show. Here's the video. About three minutes of awesomeness right here.
0: So I think something skills, yes. especially in the like, past few years, is how open and honest and authentic you are about the role your faith plays in your life. Oh, and I was wondering, is there any, you know, does your faith and your comedy ever overlap? <laughs> and does one ever win out? I think ultimately, us all being mortal, the faith will win out at the end.
1: <laughs> but I
0: certainly hope when I get to heaven, Jesus has a sense of humor. But I'll say this, I'll say this, uh, someone was asking me earlier about what I, this, is, this relates to faith, because my faith is involved with, I'm, I'm a Christian and a Catholic, and that's re- re- always connected to the idea of um, love and sacrifice being somehow related and giving yourself to other people, and that death is not defeat, if you, if you can see where I'm getting at there. Someone asked me earlier, what movie did I really enjoy this year? And I said, well, I really like Belfast, which is kind of Branagh's story of his childhood. And one of the reasons I love it is that I'm Irish and uh, Irish-American, and it's such an Irish movie, um, and I think this is also a Catholic thing, because it's, it's funny, and it's sad, and it's funny about being sad. In the same way, that sadness is like a little bit of an emotional death, but not a defeat if you can find a way to laugh about it. Because that laughter keeps you from having fear of it, and fear is the thing that keeps you from turning to evil devices to save you from the sadness. As Robert Hayden said, we must not be frightened or cajoled into accepting evil as our deliverance from evil. We must keep struggling to maintain our humanity, though monsters of abstraction threaten and police us. So if there's some relationship between my faith and my comedy, it's that no matter what happens, you are never defeated. You must understand and see this in the light of eternity and find some way to love and laugh with each other.
1: Stephen Colbert, everybody. Yeah, how about them apples, huh? There's Colbert right there. What's he doing? He's come into the gravitational orbit of this story. And there in a moment where the script gets flipped on him and he's being interviewed, what happens? He's able to articulate this unbelievable perspective and do it in a way so winsomely that his guest, I think she's a singer. Somebody help me. I don't actually know who it is. He, yeah, I'm not cool enough to know, but his guest is like, "What?" Well, yeah, oh yeah. And his audience is like, yeah, it's very good. And this Robert Hayden quote, unbelievable, where we don't use evil um, to overcome evil. So what, what happens there? What happens there is that the Holy Spirit is pointing to Jesus through the story that is unfolding in his word. And when we get put on the spot there, the Spirit of God will speak through us. We're in the orbit of what God is doing. And so the Spirit of God will speak um, to us. He will bring to mind the things that we have learned. Every part of our life gets swept up in this story, in the field of medicine, in the field of comedy in the field of teaching, in your classrooms, and on the soccer fields, and and, in the living rooms of your life, like all of that gets sucked into the gravitational pull of this story that God's telling. And in doing so, we're able then to articulate the things that he wants us to say when he wants us to say it. A couple things here just really, really quickly. Um, the, The Holy Spirit brings to mind what we have learned, but he never, ever, ever contradicts the scripture like ever, okay? So if, if you in your mind think, oh, I think the Spirit of God is speaking to me to do something that the Bible says I shouldn't do, you're wrong, okay? Like, don't, just don't, don't buy that. People have used it to justify, to deconstruct, to do a hundred other things that are just not helpful. I'm telling you, don't buy that. The Spirit of God is not going to con- contradict what he's already said in the Word of God. He's not double tongued. He's not speaking out of both sides of his mouth. If he said it once, he'll say it again don't do it. If you think, oh, the spirit of God is telling me, I got this kind of feeling, this little thing inside of me to not do something that the Bible says to do, well, guess what? You're still wrong. Don't, don't buy it. Do the things that Jesus has said to do. And he speaks in a way that sounds like the scripture. If you ever wonder, is this really God? Go open your Bible and see if you hear similar things through the word. Okay. Last thing. He points us to Jesus through conviction and through his word and finally through the work that he does um, in our lives. John 16, verse 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep, lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But she's, when she's delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into this world. And I just put a little pause here. Some of you may want to take issue with Jesus at that point. you, You can take that up later. Verse 22. So also you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice. And no one, listen, no one will take your joy from you. He points to Jesus. his work, What work is that? It's the work of transformation in our lives. It's the work of redemption in our lives. And it looks like several things. I'll just point you to a few of them. First of all, we become like him. How do we do that? We behold Jesus. The whole point of discipleship, the whole point of following is just simply to position yourself such that you can see Jesus. Because when we behold Jesus, we will become like him. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image, the same image of God from glory, one degree of glory um, to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. So as we behold God, as we behold Jesus, we look into his word. We see him at work in the world. As we behold him, we become like him. And that is the work of the spirit. Secondly, our very character gets changed to take on his character. It's not a matter of us pretending. It's not a matter of us trying to put on different clothes that don't necessarily fit. No, he genuinely transforms us from the inside out. This is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. His divine power, and that is the spirit, okay? His divine power has granted to us everything that we need for life and godliness. And he goes on, so that we may become partakers of the divine nature. Our very nature changes until we begin to actually live out from inside of us. We're not faking it. We're not trying to pretend. We genuinely live out from inside of us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We genuinely live out what we talked about last week. We genuinely live out the fruit of the Spirit. Our character becomes His character character. And thirdly, um, we, so you grow some stuff. That's amazing. You grow fruit on occasion. What do you have to do? You got to weed the garden, right? And so we kill sin, but we do so with his help. Uh, Romans chapter eight, verse 13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You will live. How do we kill sin? We kill sin with the Holy Spirit. Okay. And then lastly, um, he reminds us, he reminds us of our standing um, under God's torrential love. He reminds us of our standing. Romans chapter eight, verse 17, the scripture's not going to pop up. Just trust me on it. Okay. It says this Romans eight, verse 17 says the spirit, his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. His spirit bears witness with us that we are children of God. So there is a kind of an external um, testimony um, of how God has worked in our lives, but also there's this internal, more subjective thing where the Spirit of God whispers and says, Hey, you're one of my kids. You are my son. You are my daughter. And you think to yourself, No, no, no. Uh, uh, yeah. I blew it this week. And you know what he whispers. You're one of my children. Still one of my children. No, 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 no. But, like, I, 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 I looked at the thing and you said, don't do that. And I was like, eh, I'm doing it anyway. I was in, like, defiant spiritual two year old mode. And you know what he whispers? Hey, psst, psst, you are my son you are my daughter. I know God, but look, I mean like grief. It's like tsunami size. It's coming just umpteen miles an hour and it is so big and it is going, I'm, I'm going to get swallowed by the grief. And you know what he says? You won't get swallowed. You're one of my children. You are my son you are my daughter. But the hurt, the hurt is so bad. The wounds seem so deep. You are my son. You are my daughter. When we sang a while ago, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. The email came. You're my son, you're my daughter. The doctor called, you're my son, you're my daughter. The relationship ended, you're my son, you're my daughter. The thing didn't go like I was hoping it would go and now I am facing an uncertain future that I cannot predict. I cannot even see the very next step. You are my son, you're my daughter. The spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are his children. He bears witness, he reminds us of our standing. But we don't stand on our own here. We are standing, it says, under or in God's torrential love. I chose that word on purpose, torrential love. This is at the end of this tremendously famous passage in Romans chapter 5. Again, you can just trust me on this one. Paul says, rejoice in your tribulations. And people are like, dude, Paul... No, no. Rejoice in your tribulations. Why? Because your tribulations bring about perseverance. And your perseverance brings about proven character. And your proven character brings about hope. And then verse 5 turns a corner. And hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out. That's the word, poured out older translations shed abroad um in our hearts by the holy spirit in other words some people in their minds think depending upon how your behavior was depending upon how you're weak with depending upon whether you open your bible and read the new testament 90 days like you're supposed to if if you're behind you're like god has a spigot up there in heaven and he's like "Oh, oh, oh, oh i see you you're doing good today open 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 lefty lucy lefty lucy Oh, thank you, God. You're watering me today. We wake up the next morning, yell at our kids, fight with our spouse, get frustrated, temptation comes, something pops up on our email, something pops up on the internet. Oh, righty-tighty, righty-tighty. And he just turns it down to where it's just drip, drip, drip. That's not how the Bible talks about God's love, folks. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit has poured out, shed abroad. Folks, you and I are standing under Niagara. You want to know what God's love is like? It's like standing under Niagara. We are soaked by, shaped by, moved by, inundated by the torrent of God's love for you and me. Even you. What do you mean? Even you, even you who messed up, even you who looked at that thing you shouldn't have, even you who doubted, even you who didn't read your New Testament in ninety days, and now you're behind. Now you got to tell the other people in your small group that this is what happened. Even you who yelled at your kids out in the out in the parking lot before you got in, and everything's just fine now. Even you who you know completely um, stuck it in the ditch on this other thing this week. Even you who has. Just, I mean, just this much faith this week. Even you, who could barely get out of bed this morning to make it here, even you are torrentially loved by God. It is a it is a Niagara sized waterfall, and is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Even you, He reminds you that you are His son, you are His daughter, and no matter. How your week was. He doesn't righty tidy or lefty loosey based upon your performance. You are standing under the waterfall of the torrential love of God. Even today. Even you. And we're gonna come to communion. And you know what the Holy Spirit's gonna do? He's gonna take this little wafer. And he's going to take this juice and he's going to point you to something. What's he going to point you to? He's going to point you to Jesus. Because the love of God was demonstrated most clearly in the death and in the resurrection of Jesus. He's going to remind you of what God has done for you. He's going to remind you of how he stepped, how Jesus stepped in and took the blow that you and I both deserved. how he carried your sins, how he purchased your forgiveness and how now you and I stand right with God under God's favor. His goodness is running after you today, not because you're so good. The Spirit's pointing and saying, look at Jesus. This is why he's running after you today. This is why. So I'm going to give you a moment. If you need to close your Bibles, turn your phone off, whatever you need to do, set these things aside. We're going to have time to just spend a moment in quiet and then we'll take communion together. And what we'll do in doing so is we'll see this big arrow pointing to Jesus, what he has done. Pointing to how he has been at work, how he is at work right now, how he has secured our um, uh, uh, reception of God's love through his death and through his resurrection. The spirit of God will point to Jesus. Let's take a moment, ready ourselves for communion, and then we'll do so. Deacons, if you're going to serve today, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and come forward and then I'll lead us in a prayer.